Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then he then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 128 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show in store for you guys. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of news. Then we have an interview with Dr. Tassa Saldi. She is the CSO of Tumi Genomics. Uh, we're going to talk cannabis pathogens, including hop latent viroid. Uh, we're also going to have the grow tip. I'm going to talk about starting seeds for the outdoor season, take some questions from you guys, and... Uh, wrap it up at the end so it's all brought to you by seeds here now sweet leaf nutrients excelsior extracts and prime superior inoculant stick around episode 128 is coming at you if you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop then you need to know about sweet leaf plant nutrients Sweetleaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. So check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off the signature line of nutrients, as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you actually get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. And all paid Patreon supporters receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15, 15% off. All right, welcome back. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the incredible tune. Uh, we are here. We are happy. We are high. It is episode 128. How are you feeling, Mike? Uh, doing well so far. You know, so far, so good. Yeah, man. I, I'm I'm just on the perfect combination of weed and coffee. Shout mm. out to uh, our comedian friends. <laughs> Rob Cantrell. Rob yeah. Cantrell with the coffee and weed video. If anybody wants to check that out, I'm in, I make a cameo in the video. So if you uh, Google Rob Cantrell, uh, coffee and weed you'll catch a glimpse of me and i think around 2010 or so uh <laughs> yeah that was a lot of fun fun day but yeah coffee and weed man that's what i need and uh so yeah here we are how you feel <laughs> i'm doing well we got to have Cantrell back on the show at some point for sure yeah our, our friend morgan didn't she used to call that uh goofballs and you did like a espresso in a joint was that a goofball or was that <laughs> i don't know um, but i like it there might have been something else involved in that, actually. So anyway, um, but yes, this is episode 128. Uh, we have a really great show for you guys. And um, as we often do, perhaps we should start things off with a little cannabis news. Let's do it. All right. Excellent. So our listeners know the efforts that are going on around uh, descheduling, rescheduling cannabis. But this is interesting. A newly released report from the Food and Drug Administration highlights the efforts made by that agency in its recommendation to move cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 in the Controlled Substances Act. 
And while there's a bunch of science and analysis and scientific analysis and other stuff, the report also reveals a somewhat unexpected method used by the FDA. So the research wing of the FDA is called the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, or uh, CDER. And they were tasked with reviewing how cannabis is classified after the Biden administration called for multiple agencies to explore that subject back in 2022. So in addition to the scientific and medical analysis conducted by the FDA, social scientists at the CDER actually spent six months obsessively poring over social media posts like your ex-boyfriend after a few drinks. And so they went through everyone's social media posts. And according to this FDA report, the team conducted a, quote, detailed qualitative analysis of online and social media conversations occurring about marijuana. The report says, quote, this six-month study involved manually analyzing hundreds of posts publicly available online and social media platforms to, to provide context directly from users regarding marijuana, including its effectiveness for several therapeutic purposes such as anorexia, anxiety, nausea, and pain, non-medical purposes, benefits and negative effects, and experiences with access. This analysis of random social media posts actually factored into the FDA's official recommendation to reschedule cannabis to Schedule 3. While the health department agreed and sent hundreds of pages of research supporting the rescheduling recommendation to the DEA last summer, we're still waiting for the DEA to complete its review. And unfortunately, the DEA does have the final say over any scheduling under the Controlled Substances Act. But interesting, social media factored into this recommendation. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. And I don't know, you know, it's strange to have the DEA have the final say because any restriction on any drug that they control or are meant to, you know, be uh, enforcing is a restriction on their budget and the amount of agents and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it's in their self-interest to make more drugs illegal and <laughs> because it gives them a, a bigger budget oh, and more, more age yeah, marijuana right. is obviously one of those things that's, you know, a lot more people smoke cannabis um, and consume cannabis than, you know, the people who do uh, cocaine and heroin and all of that. I mean, much more millions and millions more. So it gives them a much bigger pool of uh, people to bust. You know, which means a bigger budget and more toys, more guns, more bulletproof vests, more more everything. So, and it's like we know. always used to say, cops would much rather deal with a, a stoner with some cannabis <laughs> than like someone on PCP or yeah. uh, methamphetamine. You know, you're going to go home at the end of the day to your family. So it's it's just human nature. And I think ultimately they you know that agency shouldn't be in charge of 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 what drugs they're enforcing. That's really should be. Ultimately, you know, the people deciding, maybe doctors, uh, organizations that are interested in harm reduction uh, and treatment and things like that. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. But I do hope that they deschedule instead of scheduling schedule three. I've said this over and over, but I don't think cannabis belongs on any schedule uh, because you don't see alcohol or tobacco or, you know, even, you know, sugar. <laughs> or caffeine, tea, none of it is on a schedule. And they all, you know, have some type of mind altering effects. And I, you know, I just, I, I place cannabis in, in those terms rather than, uh, 
in the terms of some dangerous drug that has no benefit at all medicinally. And 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 I know that Schedule Three is better than Schedule One, but it's not ideal and it's not great. And it certainly hands things over to big pharma and MSOs and things. So I don't know, man. I I just I really hope they deschedule and but I don't expect much out of the government. So. Uh, and of course, as always, it's two steps forward, one step back with anything that big. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm really hoping they go with descheduling over rescheduling. Yeah, we shall see. Hopefully we get that answer soon and hopefully it's the one we want. Um, but yes, good point. And, I, you know, I'm going to do a little research into this. I've just been lazy, but I, I was under the impression that if they wanted to, the attorney general could just uh, change how cannabis is scheduled. I guess maybe that's not true, but I had, that was my understanding at one point. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, it, you know, everyone's just passing the buck to everyone else. You know, the mm. DA says Congress has to do it. Congress says the president has to do it. The president right. says, you know, every, no one actually knows. <laughs> really. And it I've talked confusing. to policy experts and, and they're confused about it. So... You know, but, you know, then when you have someone like Trump say president can do anything they want and be immune, then at that point, I'm like, well, why can't Biden just immediately legalize, you know, fire up a J on television and, right. and just declare the war on on cannabis over? You know, if he's if he's immune from any prosecution for anything he does, <laughs> then why, why not? I think, I think but, Trump might have been wrong about that. But anyway, it's possible. Um, it's possible yeah. he, he was. uh Misinformed. The, the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let, let's move on here. Uh, this is an interesting one. Vermont uh, lawmakers are considering a bill that would legalize psilocybin and establish a research team with the goal of regulating psychedelics for therapeutic use. If passed, this bill would remove psilocybin, the active substance in magic mushrooms, from Vermont's list of illegal drugs. It would also create a psychedelic therapy advisory working group. An eight-member team consisting of lawmakers, researchers, advocates, and state officials that would examine the use of psychedelics to improve physical and mental health and to make recommendations regarding the establishment of a state program. Now, we have seen similar state psychedelic therapy initiatives in Oregon and Colorado, and psychedelics for therapeutic use, specifically psilocybin, is a hot topic at the moment as a number of states are considering bills to legalize or study the substance and its benefits, including Arizona, New York, Indiana, New Mexico, Alaska, California, and Missouri. Interesting. Well, I'm all for it. Uh, I think uh, it's just part of plant medicine, uh, including cannabis, psilocybin, uh, and other hallucinogens that are uh, very helpful for people. Obviously not for everyone, but uh, certainly have therapeutic benefits, uh, especially when used properly, but also can be fun when used for fun. <laughs> so let's not forget that. Uh, you know, certain films or music or uh, all kinds of experiences can be enhanced using uh, psychedelics uh, and psilocybin in particular. Uh, so I'm all for it. I think uh, Vermont and other states that have done this are going to benefit from it, especially particularly people in those states uh, who suffer from post-traumatic stress uh, and other things that they, you know, they, that 
psilocybin can help with. So yeah, it's great. And I think um, we need those freedoms to actually put whatever we want in our bodies uh, enhanced, you know? So I, I, I think it's important and I think it's great. And I think it needs to continue, not just on a state by state or city by city level, but federally at some point. So, you know, it's, it's, it's in interesting and important and uh, and very valuable for people now. You know, there's people who need that now um, and need it to be legal. Uh, and whether it's legal or not, some people are going to do it anyway. But uh, they shouldn't have to be in fear. Yeah, and that definitely seems to be the next big grassroots legalization effort after cannabis is uh, the the psychedelics movement. So exciting stuff there. Uh, let's do one more story, and this one, uh, this is pretty cool. So. Despite the uh, the the delayed and massively disappointing rollout of the adult use retail market here in New York, uh, two basketball teams from the Empire State have managed to make cannabis history. The Brooklyn Nets of the NBA and the New York Liberty of the WNBA recently became the first basketball teams to enter into sponsorship deals with the cannabis industry. The teams have signed partnership agreements with the CBD beverage company Mind Drinks, that's M-Y-N-D, Mind Drinks. Um, that is a hemp-based CBD sparkling beverage. So as we reported here on Grow Bud Yourself, the NBA's latest collective bargaining agreement, which was signed last June, officially removed marijuana from the sports banned substance list, meaning the players are no longer tested for THC or punished for consuming cannabis. Players are also free to promote pot companies if they so choose. Well, now the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty have made Mind Drinks their official wellness and recovery beverage partner. They are not, however, the first professional sports franchises to be sponsored by the cannabis industry. As Mind first set its sights on Major League Baseball partnering with the Chicago Cubs last year. I, for one, would just like to say if mine has a little extra money to throw around, um, we'd be happy to to have them here at GBY. Absolutely. <laughs> we can <laughs> definitely use some sponsorships. And, uh, you know, nothing wrong with the uh, a CBD beverage to help uh, with professional athletes or anyone else in, in for that matter. Absolutely. So, yeah, good for the Nets and good for the Liberty and uh, and maybe even good for us. So call us Mind. Uh, but that's a little look at what's going on in the world of weed. However, we have a, a really interesting interview coming up here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do. It, it is with Dr. Tassa Saldi. She is a molecular biologist with uh, almost 25 years of research experience in RNA biology, infectious diseases, and pathogen detection. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, hoplatent viroid and all kinds of ways to detect it and uh, mitigate and understand uh, how these viroids affect our plants and what we can do uh, to avoid them and then also to deal with them <laughs> if when they arise. So very interested, uh, very interesting conversation with Dr. Saldi and uh, yeah, very uh, informative and exciting. So. We're going to take a break, uh, and we will be back with Dr. Tassa Saldi of Tumi Genomics. Whether you're growing from seed or from clone, Prime Superior's simple, safe, and effective products can take your cultivation program 
to the next level, helping to produce higher quality, naturally healthier plants. Prime Superior offers a two-step process that will benefit any garden. This is possible thanks to Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Bovaria bassania, which is optimized for plants and sets up a symbiosis that increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Simply coat your seeds to inoculate and aid rapid germination or dip your clone cutting with the world's first biological cloning honey to improve growth the way nature intended. Next, continue maintenance of your crop with foliar or fog applications of Prime Superior's Drench, which will boost your plant's growth and ensure a heavy harvest. Best of all, the Drench will work with already established gardens so anyone at any stage of growth can achieve a cleaner crop with better results. I've used this stuff on my own cannabis plants and house plants, and it works amazing. I love the cloning honey. I love the boost uh, that you get from using the drench. Uh, and I just think all your plants will benefit from this, green up and grow better. And honestly, grow more of the essential oils that we're after, the terpenoids and flavonoids and all of that. Um, so now is the time to try Prime Superior, the world's first biological cloning honey, and Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use this code PS420 for 15% off your entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com today to learn more. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we have a very special guest for you guys this week. I'm speaking with Dr. Tessa Saldi. She is the chief science officer and co-founder of Tumi Genomics and a uh, an accomplished molecular biologist and uh, with a specific area of expertise, uh, which is, I think, very relevant to our listeners, and that is hop latent viroid. So welcome, uh, Dr. Saldi. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, can you just give us a little bit of your background so that people understand um, your your background and also how you got involved in cannabis and in, in to me yeah. genomics? Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so like you said, I'm Tassa, and I'm the chief science officer at Tumi Genomics. Um, so at Tumi Genomics, we focus on um, pathogen, cannabis pathogen diagnostics and um, uh, prevention and helping people find ways to mitigate pathogens. Um, as far as my background, all of my education and expertise is in molecular biology. Um, and specifically, my expertise focuses on RNA biology, um, which is actually the molecule that hoplite virid is made of. It's an RNA molecule. Um, and what I studied was how the three-dimensional shape of those molecules can control the way that um, that information is read in the cell and how that shape can contribute to disease. Um, and so it's um, relevant that hoplite and viroid is a highly structured or highly shaped RNA molecule that exacts all of its biology um, through that three-dimensional shape. Um, and so, so basically, all of my education has been around trying to understand molecules just like um, hoplite and viroid. Um, and so, as far as our journey into cannabis, um, we founded Tumi Genomics about four years ago, and um, we actually founded the company 
um, with a focus on cancer genomics. Um, that lasted about two months and then COVID hit and um, we kind of pivoted, which I think a lot of startups do or did into uh, COVID. And um, we designed a point of care test for COVID and we, um, we headed up the COVID surveillance lab at CU Boulder for about a year. Um, so kind of at the same time we were doing that, uh, one of the friends of one of our co-founders, um, who actually has a, a nursery called Hayes Valley in California, she contacted us and said that, you know, that there was this strange RNA pathogen hitting the, the industry called hoplatin viroid, and she was having a hard time um, finding ways to diagnose it or finding a lab she trusted. And our whole team were all molecular biologists, so we're like, sure, we can help with that. And um, it just kind of exploded from there, from that one person to, you know, just through word of mouth through the rest of the industry. Um, and I, I will just take a second to say, when we founded Tumi Genomics, our mission was to bring rigorous, accurate science to underserved geographies or industries. Um, and when we got into the cannabis industry and kind of saw how much this industry needed, like more research, more education, you know, and, and how underserved it was in that realm, it was like we had basically found a home for our company because this is exactly the type of thing that we wanted to do. Um, so it was um, a great fit for us. And, you know, I love plants and cannabis as a, a personal thing. So it was a great combination of, of what I like to do personally and my uh, career. Yeah, interesting. Now, um, for the for the layperson, can you explain just uh, hoplatent viroid? What I mean, what is what is it? I mean, it's a virus that affects cannabis plants. Does it come? Did it come from hops? Is that why it has that name? And uh, and and what does it do? How does it spread? Sure, what? sure, yeah. So um, so hoplatent viroid is a molecular parasite. Um, it's actually not a virus. It's distinct from a virus. Um, so viruses have something on the outside. It's usually made of like proteins or fats that protect its genome. Um, viroids are incredibly simple. They lack any type of outside protection at all. And they're just purely genetic information. Um, the uh, pathogen itself uh, was first discovered in hops um, in 1987 or 1988. Um, and uh, when it spread from hops into cannabis isn't known. Unfortunately, or I guess fortunately for hops, people, it's asymptomatic for the most part in hops. And so it's been able to kind of spread globally uh, somewhat unchecked. Um, but in cannabis, of course, it's not asymptomatic. And so um, there's a pretty big reservoir for this pathogen uh, throughout the world. And um, it, it's it's pretty devastating in cannabis. Um, the way that it generally infects is through mechanical damage. So in order to pass the infection from one plant to another, you need sap transfer. Um, and the most common way for this to happen is if you're cutting your plants and you don't sterilize your tools in between those plants, um, you can pass hoplatin viroid from the infected plant to the non-infected plant. Um, that can also happen like if you're doing some rough touching on your plants and you get sap on your fingers and then you, you know, touch your next plant, you can spread it like that. Um, it can also spread through the water and it is present in both seeds and pollen. So um, you can also spread it like that as well. Uh, interesting. Now, 
how pervasive do you do you think it is as it, within the cannabis world? It seems very pervasive to me because I get a lot of questions about it, um, mm-hmm. and I've, I've certainly nurseries seem to, um, you know, sometimes live and die based on <laughs> whether they have <laughs> that or not. And uh, yeah, how pervasive do you see it in cannabis? Yeah. So right now, it's I would say it's extremely pervasive. We detected in in um, almost 80% of the companies that test with us. Um, we found it in pretty much every state in the United States where we have enough data um, to actually make a call. Um, we also have international customers. So um, it's in Canada, it's in Asia, it's in Africa, it's in Europe. Um, so I would say at this point, it's it's a global pathogen. It would, it's a pandemic for the cannabis industry. Wow. Yeah, it seems to be. Now, um, what about identification? Like, what are the symptoms that, that people will notice in their plants if they have HLV? Uh, and yeah, how how can they identify it? I mean, do they have to send out send samples away? Is is that something? I, I assume that's something to me is also involved in. Yes, yes, yeah. So um, if your plants have symptoms, um, some of the common things that you're likely to see um, there are growth symptoms. Plants tend to get stunted. Um, a lot of times, um, instead of kind of growing in a sort of a nice vertical way, um, branches will come out more horizontal. Um, and that's probably one of the most common signs and and um, specific or more specific to hop latent thyroid. Um, you can also see chlorotic or discolored leaves, uh, smaller leaves. Um, a lot of times it'll compromise the root system. So if you're cutting clones, those clones are likely to root very slowly and the root mass will be reduced. Um, and then, of course, the, the worst symptom of all and the most expensive one is that it has a pretty dramatic impact on the flower. Um, it tends to cause much smaller flowers, dramatically reduced THC and CBD content. Um, and it just kind of turns the flower into more of a fluff. Um, now, the one thing that I like to caution people about is that the name hop latent thyroid, that word latent actually means asymptomatic. And so a lot of times you can have a plant, especially in veg, that is mostly asymptomatic or the symptoms are incredibly subtle. And so just looking at a plant, it's very difficult to tell whether or not it's infected. Um, and because of that, if you are bringing in new material or you've never tested your plants before, I really recommend that people go ahead and just get a molecular test um, because that is the only definitive way to be sure that the plants you're working with are not infected with hoplatin thyroid. And that would that requires sending uh, a sample to a company like Tumi to have that yes. analyzed. And and um, now you mentioned ways to prevent uh, spreading HLV with uh, the the cutting materials that you use. Is there any other uh, ways to prevent getting HLV? Yes, absolutely. Um, so so there's um, a lot of different sort of changes that you can make in a cultivation facility to kind of dramatically reduce your chances of, you know, bringing in hoplite and viroid or other pathogens and then allowing them to spread. Um, we've, at, we've kind of created this dorky acronym, Atumi Genomics, we call STOP, which kind of outlines the four big things that you can do. Um, so the first one is sterilization for STOP. And that just means, um, you know, when you're 
touching your plants, you want to wear gloves. And when you move from plant to plant, you want to clean those gloves with 10% uh, bleach. So that's one part bleach, nine parts water. Um, you can put it in a spray bottle and spray your gloves before you move to the next plant. And you also want to be sterilizing your tools um, in 10% bleach for at least 60 seconds. So if you're working in a facility and you, you know, drop your tools in a, in a bleach jar, you can let that sit and grab another tool in that same jar and cut and then drop it in and grab another one. Um, besides sterilization, the other critical part of STOP, the next one is testing. So it's really important that people instigate some schedule for preventative testing. Um, we recommend that people test their plants twice um, in their lifetime, the mother in their productive lifetime, or once every four to six weeks. Um, and that's generally right when you get that rooted clone, and then again, right before you cut that mother for your production clones. Um, and the, the testing process, at least with tumor genomics, is super simple. You We ship you a tube, you take some root, you pop it in the tube, you close it, you shake it up, and you ship it back to us. Um, it's 20 or 25 bucks a test. Um, and you know, it's it's worth spending the money to make sure that you're not growing an entire harvest that's infected. So if people do want to test or um, make sure that their plants are healthy, we are offering a discount code. Um, it's G by GBY10. So if you go in and order tests um, and put that into the code space, um, you'll get a discount on that order. Um the other thing to do is to think about how workflow is organized in your facility. Um, so part of one of the biggest things is to make sure that you don't you move from areas with um, the lowest pathogen pressure to areas with the highest pathogen pressure. So what you don't want is somebody that's working in a place like the, you know, the flower room or trimming or something and then have that person going into the mother room and working in there because that will pull, you know, pathogens or if you've got hoplite virus in your hands or something, it's going to pull that back in. Um, and then for the P, I think probably the most important thing, and this applies to cultivators with M like MSOs and big facilities all the way down to the guy with six plants in his basement, you have to protect your borders which means that if you are going to bring in a plant that you bought at the dispensary or a bunch of plants from a nursery, you need to make sure that those plants are not infected before you bring them in and put them right next to all of your healthy plants. Um, the best way to do this is to establish a little quarantine area or a tiny quarantine tent, put them in there, test them when you get them, wait three weeks, test them one more time. If you get those two negative tests, then you can feel fairly confident that those plants are not infected and you can start you know, growing them and, and putting them into your workflow. Um, so those are the four major things that I would recommend people do. Excellent. Now, tell me about uh, Tumi Glow. You guys recently launched this platform uh, and, and that's for on-site testing. How does that, how does that work? Yes, yeah. Um, we are really excited uh, to, about, to release Tumi Glow. We launched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was a long time coming because we were pretty um, strict about it being very accurate and very sensitive. Um, so what Tumi Glow is, is a sort of a do-it-yourself on-site test. Um, and uh, the test involves basically just collecting root tissue, very similar to if you, if you test with us with an in-lab process, it's the same. You put some root in a tube, you close the lid, you shake it up. 
Um, and then you move some liquid from that collection tube into a reaction tube and you heat it for a little bit and then you plop it in a machine and it takes a picture and it tells you whether your plants have hoplatin biroid or not. Um, the test itself uh, can do 48 plants uh, simultaneously. So you can it can be high throughput if that's something that you need. Um, and we've also worked pretty hard to bring the sensitivity to that test into the same range as PCR. So it can detect four copies of a viroid, um, which is the same sensitivity or even slightly better than the in-lab PCR tests. Um, and so, you know, we're really excited because we, in order for the industry to get out of this, people need to start testing frequently. And they need, you know, you can test away from this, but it's a process and you need to be diligent. And we're hoping that this will give people the convenience and at, at a price point where they can really um, test a lot more. Absolutely. Um, now, assuming I've submit a sample and it's come back positive, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, what, what are ways that, that I can mitigate the situation? Do I have to kill off everything and start over? Uh, is there is tissue culture a potential solution uh, to getting rid of the 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 pathogen, like what, what happens if it tests positive? That's what I need to know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so unfortunately right now there's no topical treatment for hoplatin viroid. So if your plant tests positive, the, the safest, most conservative course of action is to get rid of that plant. Um, if it's a genetic that you absolutely love or your business cannot live without, you can submit it for tissue culture that is successful. Um, I do warn people that it's it can be pricey and it takes a long time, especially if the company's doing it right, um, because they have to clone it and do a ton of testing themselves because it's not a hundred percent, even if they you know do Mary Stem tissue culture. Um, now it should be also recognized that just because you have one plant in your facility that has it, it doesn't mean that every single one has it. But if there are plants that have come into contact with that plant or you're afraid they might, um, the best way to prevent or to mitigate the problem is to go ahead and test the rest of your mother plants um, and pull out the ones that are infected and segregate them or throw them away and put the, the healthy ones in a different location. Um, if you have a serious issue and you're that's like way too much testing, you can condense the number of mothers you have and identify two to three mothers that are uninfected from each strain that you work with um, and then put those in a special area that's like your clean stock space and then start building out again from there. Um, and we've worked with facilities and this probably applies to most facilities. You can't just stop production while you're dealing with something like this. And so creating that clean stock and then working out from it is something that you can do while you're continuing, you know, your production with potentially infected plants if if you kind of organize it correctly. Interesting. Um, now, for the home grower, most of our our listeners and viewers are are home growers with a tent or or so, and mm -hmm. some of them are just growing every time from seed. Basically, mm -hmm. they're using feminized seeds or regular seeds, but whatever it might be. Now, if they're not taking cuttings off of mother plants uh in order to fill their tent and they're just growing from seed every time is it still a risk that they could you know get hlv in their garden yes yeah so um this is actually a research study that we're writing up right now um but 
if the mother was infected with hoplitin viride, the statistical probability of having seedlings that have contracted the infection is somewhere between 20 to 50%. Um, and that's dependent on the strain and the level of viroid in that particular mother. Um, if it's a, the father was infected and it was transferred through the pollen, it's much less likely. That sits around a 5% chance. Um, if you're planting, if you're popping from seed, um, you can still test those seedlings. You can test them right around the four leaf stage by taking a piece of the embryonic leaf, which is the um, so before the like fan leaves come out, there's like a the the embryonic leaf is kind of like that smooth round leaf. If you just take a piece off and send it in, you can test those seedlings um, and find ones where they're not infected. Um, if you have a big bag of seeds, like for whatever reason your friend just gave you, you know, 50 or something, um, it's poplatin virate is at such a high concentration in the flower that if you just send in a couple, like two to three seeds, um, if the mother plant was infected, then those seeds will show positive in the PCR. And then you might think again about popping those seeds um, if it came from an infected mother. Now, uh, what about the legalities as far as uh, sending a sample from a state that may not have uh, the same rules as another state does? Yeah. You know, uh, no, uh, how does that work as far as, is it legal to send samples from different states? Yes. Yeah. So um, we accept um, petiole or like stem or root tissue. So once you remove the root or petiole tissue from a cannabis plant, um, if it has that less than 0.3% THC, it's legally hemp. Um, and so you can ship that across state lines. And um, if you're working with Tumi Genomics, we have all the USDA permits that allow that to ship um, between any of the states or even internationally. So um, there's no legal issues uh, with shipping that. That's good to know. Uh, as well, as far as you you mentioned, uh, you know the the pathogens being within the plant material, but can they also be in in the growing mediums that people use? Um, yes. So hoplite and viroid, that's much less likely. If you're going to get hoplite and viroid. Um, almost all of the time that's going to come from an infected plant that you've brought in. Um, however, there are other pathogens, um, and I would say the two biggest worst, worst ones are Fusarium and Pythium that you can get from infected growing medium, um, unsterilized water, unsterilized cocoa, um, and those can be just as bad. And um, I might even dare say worse, especially Fusarium. Um, because they can sporulate, they can spread in the air, and they can lead to rapid decline and death of your plants. So it's it's really important that you think about where your water's coming from. You know, if you're going to buy cocoa, you can ask, hey, was this bad? Or, or do you sterilize your cocoa as a as a part of your protocol? Um, or you can sterilize it yourself. 5% um, bleach, which is one part water, or one part bleach, um, 19 parts water, uh, throw it in there um, for th uh, 30 minutes, kind of stir it around every once in a while, and then rinse it really well with water. And then you're, you've are you got sterile cocoa and you don't have to worry about those fungal spores. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, can you let people know how to find out more uh, about the work that you do at Tumi Genomics? I should tell people also it's T-U-M-I genomics g-e-n-o-m-i-c-s.com is the website but uh 
people an idea of how they can find out more information and, and order tests and submit samples and and yes. <laughs> calm, calm their nerves. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So so you as you mentioned, our website, um, www.tumigenomics.com. Um, everything that you need to know as far as ordering is all on that website. Um, you can contact us through that website. Um, it all, there's also a ton of information on there about hoplatin thyroid, um, how it spreads, how you can mitigate it. Um, there's also a bunch of information about TumiGlow if you're interested in a DIY test or, you know, a do-it-yourself kind of thing. Um, and then there's, you can always give us a call or shoot us an email. Our email and phone number is on there. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to growers, big or small, if they have questions or or concerns. Um, you know, we're on Instagram, uh, Tumi Genomics. Uh, so shoot us a message and uh, we'll help out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for being on the show and uh, really appreciate uh, your knowledge and sharing that knowledge with our listeners. And uh, thanks again. Yes, no, absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. All right. Uh, thank you to Dr. Tassa Saldi, Tumi Genomics, and we will be back after these messages with more Grow Bud Yourself. Guys, this February, Seeds Here Now invites you to escape the chill and bring the tropics to your doorstep with their February frenzy, Pineapple Delights. Feel the warmth of the tropics in every seed with the flavor of the month, Pineapple, and breeder of the month, Atlas Seeds. Savor the juicy, bold flavors and robust plants. It's a month-long fiesta of fruity fun, fabulous savings, and a 20% discount all month long. So forget winter, it's pineapple time. Pineapple strains and Atlas seeds are here to brighten your days. Join the community, share your pineapple grow stories, and learn from seasoned experts. And mark your calendar. Warm up your February with their winter warm-up weekend and catch lightning deals at the end-of-month sale. So let's make February 2024 a month of tropical triumphs. Visit SeedsHereNow.com to learn more. And Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the promo code DANKOSHIP for free shipping on all domestic orders. So join us, share the passion, and let's grow the most vibrant tropical garden together. All right. Welcome back, you guys. And uh, thank you to Dr. Saldi again uh, for the very illuminating uh, interview. Very interesting stuff on cannabis pathogens. Uh, very enlightening. So thank you. Uh, check out tumigenomics.com for more info. Uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, we're in the cultivation segment. And uh, I guess it's time for my grow tip, uh, which... For this particular segment, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what season it is. Obviously, we're approaching spring, but it is time to get ready if you're growing outdoors or in greenhouses, uh, pretty much anywhere in the northern hemisphere. Uh, it is time to start your seeds and start getting ready for outdoors. Start preparing uh, your plot, whatever it might be, if it's raised beds, containers, uh, growing directly in the ground, whatever it might be. Uh, there's two simultaneous things that can get you way ahead of the game right now. And one is starting your seeds early. Uh, and two is preparing the soil and the ground or wherever you plan to grow. So um, 
and and I do recommend seeds for uh, growing outdoors. Uh, some people like to grow from clones. I think you know, clones are great because you know what you're getting for sure. It's the exact duplicate and copy of a plant. But I think the benefit of that for me personally is for indoor growing because you get a level canopy. Uh, you, plants all finish at the same time, behave the same way. Uh, but you don't have that taproot and you don't have that hybrid vigor that you get from a true F1 uh, seed. So I recommend, honestly, getting regular seeds, getting an F1 hybrid uh, and growing those out uh, and, you know, killing the males when the males pop up and just grow uh, twice as much as you want to eventually flower, uh, factoring in for how you're going to have those males. Uh, but that's where you're going to get the strongest growth. That's where you see those big, you know, 10, 20 foot trees out in Cali. They start those even before now, you know, before February, obviously they start those indoors and put them out when they're already three or four feet tall. Uh, but we don't necessarily have to do that. And if you start seeds now, uh, you'll be ready to go uh, once, you know, there's no more fear of frost, depending on where you live. Uh, and when the season is right, I mean, you want to start in the spring because the plants will be in the vegetative stage. Um, if you start them too early, they could flower early. So um, yeah, that's the philosophy behind getting started uh, now. What I recommend, the simplest, easiest thing is to get a nice plastic tray uh, using whatever growing medium you'd like to use, uh, you know, a nice, loose, um, airy, seedless mix, uh, soilless mix. Um, is ideal for me personally, but pe some people like to use rock wool. It stays very moist. It allows oxygen through. Um, there are certainly better alternatives these days uh, to rock wool. Uh, and you can you don't have to necessarily use the trays and the plugs. You can just start in uh, cups, you know, plastic cups with holes in the bottom. Uh, the typical, you know, red cups that you see at every keg party uh, are very cheap and plentiful, very easy to poke holes in. Um, uh, they're not, you know, they are, they not, they don't let light through. So, you know, they're not going to damage roots and, and they're, you know, they, they're 16 ounces is a pretty decent size. Um, that'll get you well into the vegging stage, you know, at least the early, earliest part of it. So, you know, some people will just start right into those 16, uh, ounce cups. Some people prefer to start in the, in the smaller plugs. Either way, um, uh, you want to have your medium moist, uh, you want to make sure uh, that, you know, it's well, well soaked so that, you know, when you squeeze it, water comes out, but not so soaked that it's like underwater. Uh, so, you know, that's important. It's important to do the, to prepare this before you, you're, you start popping these seeds because, um, any delays are going to lead to either stretching or other issues that you're going to have. So you want to have everything well prepared. I like, um, the clear plastic dome, over the top, you know, we use those for cuttings, but they work with seedlings too. Uh, they just have to harden off a little bit after you take off the dome. Some people like to just not include the dome because of that hardening off after removing the dome, but I do like to keep that humidity in there um, just enough so that uh, the seedling is happy and the, and the roots are happy. Uh, and a heat pad is great too. We use that for cloning. It's great for popping seeds too, because really ultimately, room temperature is just slightly cooler uh, than you want to be. So if you can just raise the temps, you know, from let's say 68 or 70 up to like 75, even, you know, approaching 80, 
uh, you're going to be in in a better place uh, for those seedlings to pop. Uh, some people use the wet paper towel method where you just uh, get a, a, a paper towel and moisten it and put the seeds in between. Uh, and then once the, you see that little taproot pop out very gently and carefully, uh, place the seedling root down uh, into your medium. To me, I don't know if I don't really like that process personally, just because it, it lends uh, a lot of air, space for error and mistakes. And I've definitely damaged a few uh, seedlings just in that planting process. I like to put the seeds right into the medium, um, pour some water in. Make sure when you're pouring the water in, the seed doesn't pop up out of the hole that you put. You know, you want to drop it in there about a quarter to a half inch under the soil. But if you water like, aggressively, uh, that seedling can, you know, can pop right up out of the hole that you you put it in. So make sure it is under there, you know, just a little bit, no more than uh, a half an inch or so. And uh, yeah, the important thing there is, is just, they don't need light until they pop out, but as soon as they pop out, uh, it's a, it's a good idea to have them under light. So I put them under light even before they pop out, just to make sure uh, if there's one early one that pops or whatever, it's getting light right off the bat. Uh, because as soon as those first set of leaves pop open, um, that plant needs light. And, uh, you know, just the regular light inside your house is not enough. A windowsill, you know, it's, it's not really enough. You know, it's just, it, honestly, it depends where you are. In some places, that might suffice. But I definitely like to supplement uh, with fluorescent lightings or uh, LED lights. Um, something mild. You don't need a 1,000 watt HPS or anything like that. Um, in fact, it's probably way too much an overkill to use something really strong. So you don't need super strong light, but you do not want to use basic incandescent light either. You want uh, either fluorescent grow lights or LED lights specific for growing. And you can put them pretty close because they don't generate a lot of heat. Uh, and that's important too, because you don't want seedlings to stretch. Any stretch that happens early uh, just results in you know a couple of inches early on in the plant's life is a couple of feet later on. So the shorter and stockier you can keep them, the better. Um, basically, like I said, uh, you know, about 70% or so relative humidity, 65 to 70% inside that dome is great. If you can monitor that, um, 80 degrees temperature wise is great. You don't want too much uh, humidity or too high temperatures because you'll burn the roots uh, or you'll have uh, the roots rot basically uh in there so uh that's really important uh getting them started if you want to use feminized seeds you can you're just not going to have that that vigor that you get um from an f1 but you won't have to end up sexing and killing <laughs> a bunch of males so uh you know i prefer personally like i said f1s from regular seeds uh, for that type of growth, just because I know I'm going to get that strong tap root and all the other roots coming off of that. Now with a clone, you don't get that. You get a bunch of roots and you can grow clone plants outside if you'd like. Uh, and I've done so, of course, but um, but again, you're not, just not going to get as strong and vigorous of a plant and as big of a yield. Um, so, you know, that's important. You know, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying if if you want the best results, you know, go with... Uh, regular seeds and do the work of separating the males from the females when pre-flowers start or even just early on in the flowering stage. Um, 
as far as selecting seeds, I mean, like I said, you're going to look for an F1 hybrid, uh, hopefully regular seeds from a reputable breeder, um, not premature looking little white seeds, but seeds with stripes or, or, or spots on them, darker colored. Um, and I prefer, like I said, planting in place rather than the wet paper towel method. Um, just make sure to keep the keep the medium uh, moist, but not oversaturated, and let it almost dry out before you water it again. Um, that's also important so you don't drown those roots. Just have, make sure you have a nice, loose, airy mix um, so oxygen can get to those roots early um, because plants are susceptible when they're young and they can die fairly quickly and easily because um, they're, like I said, very susceptible. You want to keep them from elongating by getting them under light. And then once you've seen a few sets of leaves, transplant into a larger container for the vegetative stage and you're good to go. You can start topping at that point uh, and training the plants and all of that. Once you've seen basically about two to three sets of leaves, regular leaves come out, um, then you can start with the training and the topping and and hopefully keeping it nice and short and stocky before it goes out um, into your raised beds or containers that you have outside. Uh, another thing I would say is early on when you do put them outside, acclimate them to full sun uh, by putting them out for you know an hour or so at a time. Um, start with some overcast days. It does shock the plant a lot to go from fluorescent or LEDs inside uh, right to the the great outdoors. Uh, and under full sun. So if you can, you know, put them into a greenhouse type of structure or something along those lines to protect them from the intense sun of full sun immediately when they're so young. And uh, yeah, I think you'll be well on your way to growing some real nice outdoor plants. Uh, nothing better than sun-grown plants that you really don't have to spend a lot of money on electricity for and uh, grown out in the great, great outdoors. It's just an uh, amazing uh, process to be a part of, and you fill up a bunch of jars of your own homegrown, sun-grown, hopefully uh, living soil or organic cannabis, and uh, you know, put those away for the year. And, and if you're growing indoors uh, year-round, then that's just an added benefit and something you can do through the summer and the hot months in order to avoid growing inside in during the hottest time of year. So uh, good luck. I hope that helps you out with your outdoor seeds. And, uh, you know, now's the time. Get planting. Get your seeds from Seeds Here Now. Use our code uh, and start popping seeds uh, and growing today. Yeah, indeed. The, um, the weather rodent has predicted it will be an early spring. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time to get started right now. And uh, it's also a good time for us to answer some questions from our listeners. And if you have a question you would like answered, uh, get in touch with us. The email, as always, is info at growbudyourself.com. So let's jump right in here. And let's get started with our old friend, Southern Motorway Grower, SMG. He writes, uh, hello, gents from over the pond. I continue on my quest to try as many different growing methods as I can. On social media, I recently have been seeing a large influx of growers growing in large raised living soil beds in tents and large-scale grow facilities. I'm keen to try this method. 
I purchased a grassroots fabric pot measuring one meter by one meter for my tent. Do you know how to correctly layer the bed and which soils and amendments to use? Uh, how would one maintain the soil for future crops? I also heard you could cover crop with clover seeds to further enrich the soil. So, um, yeah, what would you say here to SMG? Yeah. Oh, thanks for writing in again. And uh, thanks for your support and, and following the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, yeah, raised living soil beds are becoming very popular. Uh, this is a method that I'm very excited about, too, because I think it's really uh, a great way to produce cannabis, the best uh, qualities of cannabis are are done in living soil, in my opinion. And those grassroots fabric pots are great. You know, the one meter by one meter, we, you know, for us, it's like three by three uh, inside the tent. Uh, and, you know, you can easily grow six or eight plants or so in there to full uh, fruition. As far as layering the bed and which soils and, and amendments, there are so many options here. Uh, I would definitely look into lasagna farming, the idea being that there's different layers there uh, inside the bed. Sometimes people start with just like hardwood and 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 chunks of wood at the bottom uh, for a little bit of aeration and and uh, some some just allowing some oxygen to get to those lower roots. Uh, and then, you know, go in with uh, soils, uh, different amendments. Some people enjoy, uh, having perlite in there. I'm not a big fan of vermiculite, but that's a thing that sometimes people use. I don't think it's important for living soil, but you do want it loose and light and airy. Uh, any kind of compost, uh, worm castings, uh, green sand. There's so many amendments and things you can add. The important thing is not to overdo any one particular thing and to use those layers. Sometimes people will put cardboard. Sometimes people... Uh, you know, obviously compost is, is important for this too. That loosens up uh, a clayish soil and it also uh, will uh, make a more sandy soil uh, better better absorbing of water. So it's good for either side uh, of the extremes of how soils can be. It can loosen hard soils and, and, and harden very too loose soils. Uh, so that's important. I think... Um, as far as cover crops, clover is great, but there's so many other ones as well that can either fix nitrogen uh, for you. Uh, the important thing there is no till. So you don't really till, but you can cut that cut that down uh, and sort of work that into that, just that first inch of, to of topsoil that you have at the top there. Um, there's, there's just so many things. I mean, you definitely wanna have worms uh, in there, if you can, that's a great sign of living soil. And they do a lot of uh, the work of breaking down nutrients and aerating soil. So worms are really great to have in there. If, if it's a true living soil, uh, you can just add uh, a small amount of worms and they will reproduce and, and continue to, to grow in the soil. Uh, and basically, you know, as far as, uh, what's the other question? Oh, maintaining the soil for future crops. Right, that just means adding more organic material on top. Uh, you can send a sample of your soil away, uh, like Brandon Rust mentioned on the show uh, when he was on. You can have it tested, and he, then you they he'll, they'll tell you, you know, you're lacking in uh, boron or magnesium or whatever it might be. So add a, a cup of uh, this or that uh, in order to. Uh, 
basically align your soil more properly. Uh, but when you have that living soil, you're really constantly just trying to uh, dial it in to a level where it's feeding itself and you're just adding organic material on top. The worms are doing the work of digging and going up and and leaving their castings and all of that. And ultimately using you're using less and less inputs and you know, after two or three harvests, you're just pulling the plants out um, and putting new ones in and really benefiting tremendously from having a rich living earth uh, that you're growing in. And so that's, I, I, I'm very excited for you to go on this mission. Uh, just remember, you know, the lasagna layers and uh, there's lots of different ways to layer the bed uh, and lots of different soils. I love build a soil. I think they have really incredible uh, line of products. So I would definitely look into build a soil um, and what they have. They have pre-made ones you can just dump in there or they have uh, a lot of customization that you can do for your own personal uses. So check them out at build a soil. They're out of Colorado uh, and good luck. All right. Thanks, SMG. Let's uh, move on here. Let's check Facebook out. And uh, Kali Tree writes, uh, Hey, guys, what can be done to keep my internodal spacings tight? I've tried everything. I'm starting to think it just boils down to genetics. Uh, any advice for Kali Tree? Yeah, well, certainly genetics has a lot to do with it. Sativas tend to have uh, more elongated uh, internodal spacing. So, uh, there are certainly sh a lot of strains that just have that naturally. Uh, one way to keep that down is just to make sure you have enough light at canopy level. So uh, you, don't, you don't want the plant stretching at all. Sometimes, and I talk about this a lot, people make the mistake of just mounting a light at the top of their tent and letting the plant grow up to the light. And that's where you're going to get a lot of stretching. You want that light to be able to raise and lower uh, depending on this, where your plants are at, what stage they're at. So, you, you know, when they're in the vegetative stage and the plants are just, you know, uh, less than a foot tall, you can't have your grow light be three or four feet away from those plant tops because they will stretch. So you want to bring it down to about a foot above the plants, depending on the, the strength of the light and the, the wattage and, and amperage and all of that, but um, the heat that's being put out. So, you, but you always want to have the light at the proper distance from your plants. And that definitely discourages them from stretching. And just make sure you're also using enough light. You know, just because something looks bright doesn't mean it's providing uh, the proper uh, levels of, of light and the proper uh, spectrums and all of that. So it's important to have a light that's specific for growing plants and not like a cheap knockoff LED that's not for this purpose. So, uh, yeah, I mean, internodal spacing can be genetic, but it can also be exacerbated by not providing the plant with enough light. Uh, and another thing you can do if, you know, the plant is getting thicker and and, and stretching uh, is put light on the sides. Use supplemental light like fluorescence um, on the side rather than on the top. And you'll also see this plant wanting to spread more wide rather than upwards. All right, excellent. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Kali Tree. Uh, we we have time for one more. Let's let's go to uh, Clueless in Florida, who writes, uh, "Hey, Danny and Mike. So, and this actually relates to to your grow tip earlier. Uh, Clueless writes, every time I root clones, most of them either die or barely make it before they root. 
I'm using a plastic tray with a domed lid and rock wool cubes. I keep them warm and humid, just like you say, and all I get is a gooey mess at the cut end that eventually rots. What gives? So yeah, what would you what would you say here? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is you, you didn't mention whether you were using any kind of uh, rooting hormone powder or gel, uh, and even better, the prime superior rooting honey, uh, which is just phenomenal. And really, like, it's honey, so it does cling to that cut end and uh, stay on there. Uh, and what that does is it's a fungicide, um, and, and it encourages root growth. So there's certain... Uh, elements there, particularly from like willow trees that helps plants to root. Some people make their own rooting solution out of like weeping willow branches and things like that. Um, that's a more advanced level. I mean, I like just this rooting, uh, the cloning honey uh, from Prime Superior. It's pretty amazing. It gets right on that cut end, uh, provides uh, some nutrition and also some protection. Uh, and I think that's important. And it's, it's a step that sometimes people skip because they just think, oh, if I just keep this cut end um, wet and, and and warm, roots will pop out. But it's important to keep that end from rotting. And a lot of that has to do with using some type of uh, uh, cloning solution of some kind. I, I You know, there's powder and there's gels. Um, and then there's this great, amazing honey. Uh, from Prime Superior, that's my recommendation. Uh, the other thing is, is there could be, you said, you know, you're keeping them moist and warm, but it, there's there's levels where that's too much. You know, if you're at 90% humidity or if you're at 90 degrees, that can also cause that cut end to basically just dissolve into a, a moldy mess. So, you know, you like, you really want it to be 75 to 80 degrees or so inside your, your, your uh, tray and you want it to be about 65% relative humidity. So, you know, what I would do is if, if it was too humid inside there, I'd cut uh, holes in the plastic tray at either end, about a, a size of a quarter or so on each end. And that'll allow enough air in um, to bring down the, the relative humidity and maybe even bring down the temperature a little if it's too high. Um, so it's either too much moisture, too much heat, or not enough uh, rooting hormone, uh, honey tea, uh, honey uh, powder or gel. All right, sounds good. Uh, thank you to uh, Clueless in Florida. Thank you to everybody who wrote in this week. If you have a question you would like answered, get in touch with us. You could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. You could also get us on the socials, on YouTube, and even on Patreon. So, um, what do you say we take a short break, come back and wrap this one up? Let's do it. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors that has been with us since the beginning, uh, Excelsior Extracts. Um, made up of Outcast and TOH from Excelsior. Um, they've been incredible people, incredible growers, and made an incredible product. Um, unfortunately, a year ago or so, we lost uh, Outcast, our friend Elaine, just a tremendous loss to our community, someone who really helped um, with a lot, and including um, the THC-infused pain rub uh, that was made by patients for patients, providing incredibly powerful relief from pain. Um, the product was used was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, 
Um, so you can trust me that this is a super potent topical, uh, really works. Um, a lot of topicals just don't have that the the amount of THC to provide the relief, or they have a very perfunctory amount of CBD. Um, and and this is a, a a salve that works, a real pain rub. Um, you can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. You can DM them to learn more about the amazing pain rub. Uh, don't forget to tell TOH uh, that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, we really appreciate all the support of, over all the years. All right. Welcome back. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed episode number 128. Uh, I definitely enjoyed putting it together for you. I hope you did as well, Mike. I uh, want to thank uh, DJ Jacques and Winstrong, of course, Dr. Tassa Saldi, uh, CSO of Tumi Genomics, very informative information there on pathogens and more. I uh, want to thank all of our sponsors, of course, Seeds Here Now. Uh, use the code DANKOSHIP for free shipping on all seeds. Uh, and remember their specials every month, uh, all kinds of amazing deals on some of the world's best breeders. Uh, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, the deal there is Danko 15 for 15% off. Uh, if you're a member of our Patreon, you get even more percents off at different levels, up to 25% off of Sweet Leaf Newts. So check that out. Um, Excelsior Extracts, we love you guys uh, forever. THC Infused Pain Relief Rub. Uh, check them out on Instagram. Uh, and Prime Superior Inoculant. Uh, now is the time uh, if you're planting seeds or rooting clones or anything like that. Uh, they have products, very important products for you to get a, off to a great start. Uh, the code there is PS420 for 15% off of anything at primesuperior.com. Uh, so I want to thank them. want to thank you guys, of course, all the YouTube subscribers, all the Patreon supporters in particular. Uh, please support us on there. We really appreciate it. Uh, and I remember our affiliate vapor.com. If you're buying any kind of uh, vaporizers or any accessories for cannabis consumption of any kind uh, or concentrates, check out vapor.com and use the code GROWBUDYOURSELF20 for 20% off everything site-wide. And that includes all your favorite vapes, uh, volcanoes, puffcos, uh, every brand that's out there is at vapor.com, including rolling papers, uh, CBD products and much, much more. Um, and yeah, man, I'm really excited about uh, 2024. I just found out I'll be over at Spanibus. So anybody that's going to be uh, in Barcelona in mid-March, uh, let's link up. Uh, hopefully we can we can uh, break some bread, you know, dip it in some olive oil and uh, get nice and buzzed over there. So uh, excited about that. Excited about the grow class, our first grow class uh, Grow Bud Yourself Academy is March 20th. That'll be right when I get back from Barcelona. And uh, we'll have tickets on sale for that very soon. Um, that's going to be a grow class at Work and Roll in Manhattan, 7 to 9 p.m. March 20th. So keep that on your radar. And uh, yeah, man, thank you guys. Episode 128, Grow Bud Yourself. Let's put it in the books. Mm -hmm.